The New Testament reading is 1 Peter 2. The Old Testament reading is Exodus 15. This sermon will be a little bit unusual in that we will not be moving through Exodus 15 verse by verse, but rather this sermon will introduce the book of Exodus. And so I'll make reference to Exodus 15, but it won't be a verse by verse exposition of this text. We'll eventually come to it in our study through the book of Exodus. But Hear now the reading of God's most holy word, first from 1 Peter 2, and then from Exodus 15. 1 Peter 2, 1. Peter the Apostle writes to Christians, saying, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in God's sight chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us go now to Exodus 15 and consider verses 1 through 18. Uh, This is the song that Moses and the people of Israel sang after they were delivered from Egyptian bondage and delivered uh, from the threat of the Egyptian armies through the parting of the Red Sea. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host He cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up like a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. 
I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pains have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. So this morning we begin a sermon series through the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is very important, for it tells the story of the beginning of the kingdom of Israel. And really that story began in the book of Genesis with the call of Abraham. The book of Genesis has been described by some as a prologue, and I think that is right. The Old Testament scriptures are largely about the kingdom of Israel, and the book of Genesis functions as a prologue, that is to say an introduction or a forward which sets the stage for the drama of redemption that is told in the rest of the Old Testament. The exodus of Israel from Egyptian bondage is the main event in the Old Testament story of redemption. So then in the story of redemption, the book of Genesis functions as an introduction or prologue. It sets the stage as it were. The book of Exodus tells us of the redemption that God accomplished for Israel to graciously bring them out of Egyptian bondage and into His presence. And this Exodus story, which we'll be considering in detail in the months to come, is not to be forgotten by the people of God in subsequent generations. No, instead, the exodus of Israel from Egyptian bondage is to be remembered by the people of God. That was true of Old Covenant Israel. They were to remember this great act of deliverance. And it is also true of of you and I. We are to remember what God did in the days of Moses to deliver His people from Egyptian bondage. This event must be remembered, even by us, And it is to be viewed by us as a prototype or picture of a greater act of deliverance that God would accomplish for His people through the Messiah, Christ Jesus our Lord. This story, this story concerning the greater deliverance that God has worked through the Messiah, is the story that is told in the New Testament Scriptures. We tend to be more familiar with the New Testament Scriptures than the Old in the Christian church, and I think it is a shame. The Old Testament Scriptures are our Scriptures too. We must know them. But in the Old Testament, God's great act of deliverance that He worked for Israel to deliver them from Egyptian bondage is told. But in the New Testament, a new exodus was accomplished. A new redemption was accomplished. A greater act of deliverance was accomplished there. So the book of Exodus is to the Old Testament 
what the Gospels are to the New Testament. Exodus in the Old and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New, tell the story of the accomplishment of redemption. Through Moses, God redeemed Old Covenant Israel from Egyptian bondage. But through Jesus Christ, God redeemed the true Israel of God from Satan, from sin, and from the power of death. So you can see that the book of Exodus is very foundational. The Exodus event was clearly foundational to the nation of Israel, the Old Covenant people of God. And the Exodus event is foundational for all who are in Christ Jesus. For the Christ emerged from Israel, from this nation, from this people. The Christ came into the world through them. And more than this, in the Exodus event, we find an earthly picture of the redemption that God has worked for us in Christ Jesus. Again, the Messiah has redeemed us not from Pharaoh, nor from Egyptian bondage, but from Satan, the power of sin, and the fear of death. And I am saying that the experience of Israel in the Exodus was an earthly and physical type picture or pattern of the greater act of deliverance accomplished by the Messiah. And it is because of this relationship between the redemption accomplished through Moses and the redemption accomplished by Christ, again the one was a picture or type of the other, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is everywhere present in the book of Exodus. That is what we will find as we study through this book together. This book was written long before Jesus was born. And this book is about things that took place long before Jesus ever accomplished His work of redemption. But we will find that Jesus Christ is everywhere present in the book of Exodus. How so? Jesus the Messiah is present in the book of Exodus through the promises, the prophecies, the types and shadows that are found there. And so in our time as we study the book of Exodus, we will not forget Jesus, nor the work that He has accomplished, nor the new covenant that was ratified in His blood. Rather, we will be able to greater appreciate these things through these prophecies, promises, types, and shadows that we find in this marvelous and very foundational book of Holy Scripture. I pray that this will grow ever more clear to you as we progress through this marvelous book of Holy Scripture For now, I want to show you what I mean by using the Passover as an example. We know that the children of Israel were shielded from death by the blood of the Passover lamb applied to the doorposts of their home. Now, I hear I'm assuming that you have some familiarity with the Exodus event and with that story. But do you remember the tenth of the ten plagues was the death of the firstborn of all in Egypt? And do you remember that this This destroyer passed through Egypt and the firstborn were killed in Egypt. But the Hebrew children and all who had this blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of their home, they were spared. So, we know that this Passover event happened in history. The scriptures tell us of this. But at the same time, we know that that act of deliverance and the Passover feast, which was celebrated year after year, was a picture of Christ, of the shedding of His blood and of the forgiveness of sins that is found in Him. In Christ, through His shed blood and through faith in Him, we are shielded from the wrath of God. We are delivered not just from earthly punishment, but we are delivered from eternal punishment. So the Passover and the feast which celebrated that event was a picture of Christ, 
the Passover lamb. And that is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where we read, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul refers to Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb. He wants us to make this connection that the Passover lamb that was sacrificed under the Old Covenant, the Passover lamb which, which delivered the people of Israel from earthly destruction, that Passover lamb was a picture, it was a type of the Christ who was to come. And He has come, and through His shed blood we have the forgiveness of sins. Through His shed blood we escape the just wrath of God. This is but one example of the way that Christ is present in the book of Exodus. And the book is in fact packed full of types and shadows such as these. This sermon series through Exodus will be substantial. I'm not sure how long we're going to be here in Exodus. I'd I'd rather not commit to a time frame before uh, getting a feel for preaching through this book. I'm sure we're going to be here for a while, maybe a year And it is my custom to take a sermon or two to introduce large books of Scripture like this one. And I would, in fact, like to take three sermons to introduce Exodus to you. In this first introductory sermon, I wish to provide you with an overview of the book itself. The title of this sermon is simply, Intro to Exodus, What Happened? That is the question. What is the story about? What happened in the Exodus event? In the second introductory sermon, I wish to draw your attention to the connection between the book of Exodus and what happened before, as recorded in the book of Genesis. We studied through Genesis not too long ago, but I wish to take one sermon and and to look backwards and to say, what is the relationship between the Exodus event and what preceded it? And so the title to that sermon will be The Exodus, Intro to Exodus, Its Relation to What Preceded. And in the third introductory sermon, I wish to draw your attention to the way in which the Scriptures, from the time of the Exodus onward, constantly refer back to the Exodus event and use its language and themes as prototypical of the work of redemption that God would accomplish through Jesus the Christ. In other words, it is the book of Exodus that provides us with the terminology and themes that we need in order to comprehend and speak of the great work of redemption that the Messiah would accomplish for us. This book is truly foundational to the rest of Scripture. It's foundational to the rest of the Old Testament. It is also foundational to the New Testament and to our faith in Christ. And so I wish to take one sermon to tease that out a bit for you before diving headlong into the text of Exodus itself. That third introductory sermon will be entitled, Intro to Exodus, Its Relation to What Proceeded. And so we will take three sermons to introduce this book. The task that is before me today is to simply overview the book of Exodus. I wish to remind you of the marvelous story that is told here. And I wish for you to see that there is so much more to this story Beyond the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. Aren't those the scenes that come to your mind when you hear book of Exodus? You remember Moses, you remember the ten plagues, perhaps you remember the parting of the Red Sea. But no, the story that is told in Exodus is about bondage, it is about deliverance, it is also about reconciliation. This is a story about God rescuing His people out of darkness so that He might dwell in the midst of them. 
and they with him. And so already you can see what I mean about the Exodus picturing our redemption in Christ Jesus. For God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here I am quoting Colossians 1, 13-14. Do you see how Paul speaks of our salvation in Christ Jesus? He, he's saying, look, something like this has happened to you. Do you remember that Exodus? In the Exodus, Israel was delivered from the domain of darkness. They were transferred into a new kingdom so that they might have a right relationship with their God. That is what has happened for you in Christ Jesus. You too have been delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit here. For now, let us consider the structure of the book of Exodus. And I think recognizing the structure of this book will help us to understand the meaning of this marvelous work. When Moses wrote this text, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he divided it into three parts. And I should say that I'm indebted to the work of the Old Testament scholar Alec Motier here for the terminology. But part one, which runs from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 13, verse 16, tells the story of Israel in Egypt. Uh, that is the focus there. And that is part one of the book. It runs from 1-1 to 13-16, and it tells the story of Israel in Egypt. Here, God is portrayed as Savior. Yahweh is Israel's saving Lord. Part two, which runs from 13-17 through 24-11, tells the story of Israel at Mount Sinai. Here, God is portrayed as a companion to Israel. Yahweh is Israel's covenant Lord. And part 3, which runs from 24.12 through 40.38, that is to the end of the book, tells the story of Israel around the tabernacle. And here, God is portrayed as indweller. Yahweh is Israel's indwelling Lord. And I would, I would venture to say that Christians are most familiar with part 1 of the book of Exodus. Is that true for you? This section contains the story of Egyptian bondage, of Moses' birth, of his failed attempt at deliverance, of his journey into the wilderness, of the revelation of the divine name at the burning bush, of the calling and commissioning of Moses and also Aaron, of the ten plagues, the Passover, and the parting of the Red Sea. So part one is all about God's deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage through Moses. And again, this is the part that we are most familiar with, I, I would think. But there is so much more to the book of Exodus. Not only did God free Israel from Egyptian bondage, but He also freed them to commune with Him. And I want for you to notice this especially. God freed Israel, rescued Israel, Israel delivered them in order to commune with them and they with Him. God has set Israel apart to be His holy people. He entered into a covenant with them. He gave them His law and called them to walk in obedience. And He went with them to guide them and defend them as a pillar of fire by night and as a cloud of glory by day. The Lord fed Israel with manna in the wilderness and He satisfied their thirst with water from the rock. 
And so then you can see that it is not only a story of deliverance, it is also a story of companionship and of covenant. The Lord redeemed Israel so that He would be Israel's God and so that Israel would be His people. This is so important for us to see. The story of redemption and companionship reaches its climax in the third part of the book of Exodus, which describes the construction of the tabernacle of the Lord, which would later become the temple. What is the purpose of a tabernacle or temple? What is its purpose? The tabernacle and the temple are ever-present in the story of redemption in the Old Testament from the book of Exodus onward. It's a central feature there. But what is the purpose of a tabernacle or a temple? The tabernacle was the place where God dwelt in the midst of His people. It was there at the tabernacle that the people of Israel were invited to come and to commune with the Lord, their Maker and Redeemer. The Lord was Israel's God and they were His people and God dwelt in the midst of them. He indwelt the tabernacle. He indwelt the nation, therefore. God is everywhere present, this we know. And so when we say that the Lord indwelt the tabernacle, clearly we mean that His glory filled that place and His presence was manifest there in a special way. God was gracious to Israel to set them apart as His people from all the nations of the earth and to be present with them in this special way. The purpose of a tabernacle is communion. It is worship. And we must recognize this. This is the climax of the story of Exodus. The Israelites are rescued from Egyptian bondage. God enters into a covenantal relationship with them. He goes with them to commune with them. But at the high point, what happens? The tabernacle is is constructed and the glory of God fills it. And the people approach God there at that place in order to commune with Him and to worship Him in a way that is fitting. The Song of Moses, which we read from Exodus 15, tells and celebrates this story. The majority of it it rejoices in the deliverance that God worked for Israel to free them from the Egyptians. But I want for you to listen to how the song concludes. Look at where it goes. The people sang, You, God, will... Bring your people in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So then the song celebrates deliverance, but it also celebrates communion with God and the indwelling presence of God amongst the people of Israel. And I am saying that this story should sound very familiar to you. Not only is it the storyline of Exodus, it is also the storyline of our redemption in Jesus Christ. In Christ you have been freed from bondage. More than this, you have been reconciled to God in the covenant of grace. You've been brought near to Him. He is yours and you are His. He is with you to guide direct and protect. And He has made His home with you. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit indwells His church. As Paul says, Or do you not know, speaking to Christians in the New Covenant era, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
Paul says to the Christian, to the one who has been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit, you're a temple. And so we are to recognize that that the theme of Exodus, the storyline of Exodus, is the storyline of our redemption in Christ Jesus. They are different stories in very significant ways, but they are also similar. The storylines are the same. God has delivered His people, has entered into a covenant with them to commune with them, and He has indwelt them by tabernacling amongst them. Again, I'm so very tempted to get ahead of myself by looking back to Genesis, and particularly to the situation in the garden before sin entered the world, and to compare that with what God did in the Exodus so that you might see the connection. I wonder if you're following me here. Picture the Exodus event, the covenant that was transacted, the eventual construction of the tabernacle. But think also back to the garden before sin entered the world. We'll develop this more next Sunday, Lord willing. For now, may I urge you to begin to think in this direction. Please consider that what God did with Israel at the time of the Exodus was a major step forward in regaining what Adam lost when he rebelled against his Maker. That's what is going on here. Territory is being regained. Something is being renewed in the Exodus event. What did Adam lose? Well, we say he lost many things when he fell into sin. The most precious of them was sweet communion with God in his garden temple and the hope of consummate life and eternal glory. Adam lost this for himself. He lost it also for the whole human race which he represented And here I am saying that the Exodus event, the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage, the covenantal communion with God that was established then, and the indwelling at the tabernacle must be considered against the backdrop of Genesis chapters 1 through 3. At the Exodus, progress was made in God's program of redemption. God was beginning to regain what was lost. Adam walked with God in the garden. That garden was a temple where sweet communion with God was was enjoyed by him, and that was shattered. But God promised to send a deliverer. God promised to regain what was lost in grace for the people that he had created. And this he begins to do in in, in an earthly way at the time of the Exodus. And I'm also tempted to get ahead of myself by looking forward beyond the book of Exodus into subsequent revelation. Again, this we will do in three Lord's Days, a Lord willing, But for now, consider how these Exodus themes are repeated in Scripture. And not only are they repeated, they are also advanced and heightened. So yes, there was an Exodus in the days of Moses. But in the Scriptures we see that the people of Israel were to look forward to one greater than Moses. And to a greater Exodus in the future. And that passage that I read from 1 Peter at the start of the sermon illustrates this point. When the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians, that is to say Jews and Gentiles alike who had faith in Christ, he used Exodus language to describe them. Did you hear his words? He spoke to the Christian church consisting of Jews and Gentiles together in the New Covenant. And he referred to these Christians as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He stated that their purpose was to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Uh, 
He referred to them as sojourners and exiles. He taught Christians that God was making them into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I am here telling you that this is Exodus language that Peter picks up and he uses it. He applies it, though, not to Old Covenant ethnic Israel, but to the Israel of faith, that is to say, the church of Jesus Christ, consisting of Jew and Gentile alike. Isn't this marvelous, what God has done? God has regained what was lost at the time of the fall. He began to do it in the days of the Exodus event, in the days of Moses, but He has accomplished our redemption really and truly through Jesus Christ, through His life, death, burial, and resurrection, so that we are in Him, and in Him we are in fact uh, the people of God today. Uh, We will look more carefully at what preceded the Exodus and what proceeded from it on the next uh, few Lord's days. But for now, notice the familiar storyline. Deliverance leading to covenantal communion, leading to indwelling. That is the storyline of the Exodus, and that is also what we have experienced in Christ Jesus. Now, before moving on to some application, please allow me to draw your attention to another structural feature in the book of Exodus. Not only is Exodus divided neatly into three parts, as we have just seen, Israel in Egypt, Israel at Sinai, and Israel around the tabernacle, there is also a chiastic structure to the book of Exodus, wherein the first part of the book corresponds to the last, the second to the sixth, the third to the fifth, with the fourth part being the heart of the book. I won't take long to develop this, but I do want you to see it. I think it is very helpful. You should get used to the idea that the scriptures are highly structured like this. It is not at all uncommon to find entire books of the Bible or sections of books being highly organized in this way. And the literary structure itself does help us to understand the story that is being told. So how is the book of Exodus structured chiastically? Well, scholars have noted that in part one, Israel is in bondage and they are building for Pharaoh in that idolatrous nation, Egypt. That is what they're doing. They're in bondage. They're building for Pharaoh. They're constructing his cities. They're working for the advancement of his kingdom. Chapters 1 through 5 tell that story. But notice this. The book concludes in chapters 35 through 40 with Israel building, not for Pharaoh, nor for his idolatrous kingdom, but for God and for his kingdom. They are freely building God's tabernacle. So then, the book begins with Israel serving Pharaoh, but it concludes with Israel serving the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? Does that not excite you to see this storyline? That God has delivered Israel for this purpose, so that they might be freed from serving Pharaoh and laboring for the kingdoms of this earth, the idolatrous kingdom. They've been redeemed from from Egypt so as to be able to serve the Lord. It's marvelous. In chapters 6 through 12, we hear of the deliverance of Israel through the ten plagues. Everything comes to focus on the Passover and the Lamb of God that was sacrificed. And in the chiastic structure, this corresponds to chapters 32 through 34 with Israel worshiping the golden calf. Do you remember that episode? 
God gives the law. Moses is away for a time. He comes back down and the people are worshiping this golden calf. They have fallen immediately into idolatry. So here we have another contrast, but it is a negative one. How does Israel respond to God's redeeming grace? What do they do? They fall almost immediately into idolatry. It's a bad sign, really. Uh, These people, though they have been redeemed by God, they do not all have hearts for God, but they are still idolatrous in the heart. But we are to notice this contrast. God has been gracious to redeem Israel, and what do they do? They worship other gods. It's a problem. And it is a problem that will always be present in Old Covenant Israel. Next, in chapters 13 through 18, the emphasis is placed upon God being with Israel to guide, protect, and provide. Israel is led through the Red Sea and into the wilderness by the cloud and the pillar. God feeds them with bread and gives them water to drink. God is their companion. And this corresponds to chapters 25 through 31, wherein the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle are described. And the conclusion of that section, listen very carefully to this. God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You hear the emphasis upon indwelling there. So Israel has been redeemed. They've been led. They've been directed and protected by God and by His presence so that God might indwell them, so that He and they might have communion with one another. This makes chapters 19 through 24 the heart of the book of Exodus. And it is here that God meets with Israel at Sinai to give them His law, the Ten Commandments and the laws that are based upon them. In chapter 24, Israel formally enters into covenant with their God. In 24-7, we read that Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So then, it is the law of God and the covenant that God transacted with Israel through Moses that is at the heart of this marvelous story of redemption. So we have Israel in three parts. We also have this chiastic structure, and I think both help us to appreciate the flow of of the story. They help us to understand what it is that God was doing in the days of Moses with Israel. Let me make a few points of application now before before concluding. The first is rather straightforward. um, And it is based upon uh, this observation that God moved Israel out of Egyptian bondage so that He might commune with them and indwell them. Brothers and sisters, we must see that the same is true from you, for you and me. This has already been emphasized, but it needs to be emphasized again. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been freed from bondage, so that we might willingly and freely serve the Lord. And do not forget this second part. We have been freed from bondage, so that we might willingly and freely serve the Lord. We must not forget about this aspect of our redemption. 
We've been delivered from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. That is Luke 1, 74 and 75. And here I wish to make this observation. Many in our culture will walk the aisle at church or say a prayer to God because they wish to be delivered from their bondage and forgiven all their sins. But they forget that faith involves repentance and a new life in Christ Jesus will produce a holy walk. To have Jesus as Savior, one must confess that He is Lord. So yes, I do pray that you would look to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and deliverance from the domain of darkness and the power of the evil one. But having been led out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, you are to walk with the Lord faithfully now. You are to follow Him. You are to trust Him as He guides you. He indwells you if you are His. And because He indwells you, you are to pursue holiness, for He is holy. No longer are you to build for Pharaoh, as it were, but you are to build for God and for His Christ. No longer are you to build for the evil one, nor for His kingdom. Instead, you are to build for God, and you are to labor for the furtherance of His. This is the full story of our redemption in Christ, right? Not just the first part of it that we must pay attention to. God's graciousness is also displayed in Exodus. God did not redeem Israel because of something worthy in them, just as He did not call Abraham hundreds of years earlier because of something deserving in him. This great act of deliverance is by the grace of God alone, and so it is with us, brothers and sisters. Why did He set us free? Why did He deliver us from the domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light? Not because we are worthy, but because God is merciful and kind. That Israel was unworthy and God merciful and kind is seen clearly in the juxtaposition of the Passover scene with the golden calf scene. God delivered Israel and led them to His holy mountain. And what did they do? They were unfaithful. They committed idolatry. And so here I am simply saying, may our appreciation for the mercy and grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus grow and grow with each passing day. And may it prompt us to praise. May it move us to obedience and to faithfulness in Christ Jesus. Everything that is ours in Christ is by the grace of God alone. And, my, and may this grace move us to holy living. And what shall we say regarding the centrality of the law of God? And of the covenant that God transacted with Israel through Moses, wherein the people pledged obedience to this law that God gave them. We'll have to consider that whole section very carefully when we come to it in our study. But for now, I have two things to say. One, we should acknowledge that, like old covenant Israel, we also relate to God and are made to be citizens in His kingdom through covenant. Covenant is a central thing for us as well. Remember how Christ said... This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So then we share this in common with old covenant Israel. They were brought into the kingdom of God by way of covenant. It was the covenant that God transacted with them that established the terms of their relationship. And the same is true for us. And concerning the giving of the law, we must confess that we too have a law. At regeneration... The law of God is written on our hearts, anew and afresh. So covenant and law are central features of our relationship with God too. We are not under the old covenant. We are not subject to the exact same law that was given to Israel. 
But we are in a covenantal relationship with God. It is the new covenant ratified in Christ's blood. We better understand what the terms of that covenant are if we are to walk with God faithfully. And in Christ, so we are not under the old covenant, the one that was given to Israel, and the law that was imposed upon Israel in its entirety. We are not lawless, are we? No, instead we have the moral law of God written upon our hearts. So here I wish to make this connection. We have this in common with Old Covenant Israel. We are in a covenantal relationship with God and we have His law. We are to live in obedience to His law, not for the forgiveness of sins, not for salvation, but out of gratitude for what God has done for us. But hear this also. The covenant that we are partakers of is certainly not the same covenant as the one made with Israel in the days of Moses. For that was a covenant of works and we are under the covenant of grace. And connected to this, we must confess that the law which God imposed upon Israel in the days of Moses does not apply to us in quite the same way. So then, throughout our study of Exodus, I will constantly be drawing your attention to the similarities, but also to the differences between the Old Covenant and the New. There are similarities between Old Covenant Israel's experience and ours, but there are also very significant differences, and we'll have to keep both of those things in mind as we continue. Here is one similarity. Holiness matters as much now as it did then. In fact, we might even say that the expectation for New Covenant Israel, the New Covenant Church, is heightened. For we have the Holy Spirit. We have been renewed. God's people are to be holy just as He is holy. Under the New Covenant, God has made us holy by the shed blood of Christ. This is freely given, but His moral law is written on our hearts, and He has called us to be holy as He is holy. May Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, move us to obedience, brothers and sisters, as we encounter God's moral law, which is at the heart of this book concerning God's work of redemption. Here is an important difference. We are not under this law that was given to Israel through Moses as a covenant of works, The covenant that God transacted with Israel was a covenant of works, but we are under the covenant of grace. When Jeremiah the prophet spoke of the coming new covenant, he emphasized that it would be different from the one that was transacted with Israel in the days of Moses, saying, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband." declares the Lord. So then there are many similarities between Old Covenant Israel's experience and ours. But there are many differences too. And we must keep these similarities and differences in mind. I think this is enough for today, brothers and sisters. I wanted to set the stage for our study through the book of Exodus by putting these thoughts before you. We'll consider all of these things much more carefully in the months to come. I think it's going to be a marvelous study for us. Let us bow now for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures, Old Testament and New. Both are ours in Christ Jesus. And in fact, these books that we find at the very beginning, Genesis and Exodus in particular, are so very foundational to us. So help us to understand them, Lord. We thank you for the picture that we have in the book of Exodus. This this was a real work that you did, O Lord. 
You demonstrated yourself to be real and powerful and active in this world when you redeemed Israel from Egyptian bondage. We thank you for this great act of deliverance that you worked for them, but we thank you also for the picture and for the promise of Christ Jesus and the deliverance that he would bring to us. Father, help us to understand what you have done, what you have accomplished. And I do pray, O Lord, that you would move us as your people to obedience to you. You have given us your law. It is written on our hearts by regeneration. And so, Lord, make us faithful. May we obey your law, your moral law, in thought, in word, and in deed. So help us as we study, Lord. And as we study, we pray that our love for you would increase, also our love for one another. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. And all of God's people say, Amen.